If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Conservative, not bitter, indeed. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. Yes, I'm your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. For those that want to email me your thoughts, your opinions, your questions, yes, even your adoration and praise will be accepted here on this Friday or Candidly, any day of the week, kidding, not kidding, always good to to be here. I want to, um, today's program is a little bit different. We have a special guest, a good friend, a former fill-in host of this program, Chris Dunham, author, speaker, evangelist, apologist, uh, just a very thoughtful, insightful individual on all things pertaining to faith, culture, Christianity, and uh, so many things we chat about. He's got a book that he is that he has written, and uh, we talk about some of the things that the book's about, his relationship with Zig Ziglar, and um, he was kind of Zig Ziglar's protege um, when he first came to this great nation as an immigrant from India. So we'll get into that story, but I want to start, there's a lot obviously to get into, but I want to start with something that I think might help some people who are not understanding what exactly, or they don't want to, they don't, either don't want to understand, they can't understand uh, the, the, well, the rage or the, um, uh, the reaction, the just the the belief that people have as to what has happened with this election, with the five thousand plus affidavits, with the states changing election rules in the uh, in the leading the days and months leading up to the election, without going through their legislatures, with which absolutely is not allowed by law. This is this is not. This is not even a question, folks. What is done about it? That's that's another thing altogether, I suppose, a different conversation to be had. So leading up to this Texas lawsuit basically is what we're getting into really quickly because uh, Chris and I uh, spend uh, – it's we, we talk for a bit. I like to have guests on for longer periods when we do it. We don't have them frequently, but when we do, we try to have them longer. But anyway, I thought – 
for the average common everyday person who doesn't follow politics, and I thought I thought about this last night. I even talked to a buddy to say, "Is this? Do you think this is an accurate analogy?" For those of you that follow Big Ten football, you may have seen that the Big Ten at the beginning of the season. Remember, we had this whole delay on COVID. The Big Ten and the Pack, whatever they are, Pack Twelve. I don't even know whatever they are now. Those conferences did not did not start their seasons as early as, say, the SEC and the ACC, I believe. That's why you'll look at the records and you'll see Alabama's 9-0, roll tide, by the way. You'll see that, in fact, you can see if you're watching on video, you see that Paul the Bear Bryant Coke bottle back there that came from my, my grandfather. Um, I've been a Bama fan since the 90s, I would say. But anyway, so... This um, Ohio State, so the Big Ten, they delayed their season. At the beginning of the season, the leaders of the Big Ten said, in order to qualify for the Big Ten championship, you have to you have to play at least six games. We can't let you get in there if you just played five. Well, as the season began to play out, and by the way, the Indiana Hoosiers, Indiana Hoosiers have surprised many and have, have had a wonderful season so far, shocking people losing only to the Ohio State Buckeyes, the Ohio State Buckeyes, I should say. They had a chance at representing the East, Big Ten East, in the championship. Had they won that game, they would have. Well, who knows? This is the point. So for those that follow this, you would have known that the Big Ten announced earlier this week that they were changing the rules. They changed the rules. They decided they had an analysis, they said. They had an analysis, and they decided, discovered in that analysis, they discovered that if the big, even if Michigan and Ohio State were to play, and even if Michigan were to beat Ohio State, which candidly the odds of that, given the way Michigan has played, is, I, I mean, very, very small. But nonetheless, they, they calculated. They had their analysts, supposedly, do some math here and you know figure this out. And they said there was no way that Indiana or whoever was still going to pass Ohio State in the rankings, so Ohio State was going to be allowed to play. They violated their own rule of saying you had to play at least five games to play in the national or the uh, the, the Big Ten championship in. I guess it's still here. I don't in Indianapolis usually. So anyway, so they changed the rules during the process. This is very, very analogous with what happened in states. So if you have people that act, they don't really follow politics. I'm telling you, little things like this happen. In fact, I remember one time on here, I shared an analogy about the Electoral College. And I said, the Electoral College is, I I compared it to a seven game, um, you know, a seven game series in the NBA finals, for example. And I said, you don't, take the total number of points scored on each of those seven games and you know base the final outcome of the series upon who scored more total points in fact the the pacers in a series with the i think the Cavs or the heat i know it was one of lebron's lebron james's teams i think it was the the Cavs maybe they uh, outscored the the Cavs in a seven game series but they lost four games to three People would have lost their mind if the Pacers advanced having scored more points. The points would be analogous with the popular vote. The seven-game series, each game would be analogous with a state's electors, so to speak. 
it's not perfect analogy, but a pretty darn good framework. Same is true here. Big Ten set rules, started season, it unfolded. Their money-making Ohio State (laughs) did not uh, meet the criteria, but they said, wait a minute, we did an analysis. And suddenly we find that that is the best thing to do, is to have them play in the national champ or the, the Big Ten championship. They changed rules during the game. Now, the only difference is the Big Ten, this is their prerogative. They can do this. If you want to make the, the analogous complete and better, you would be better off to say that I changed the Big Ten's rules because I am more like a, an election official in this analogy, say an election official in, in the state of Pennsylvania, arbitrarily changing or a court arbitrarily changing what the state of Pennsylvania does because they have no authority to do that. That'd be like me going in and saying, Ohio State, you're going in with five victories to the championship, even though the rules say six and then the Big Ten have to comply, right? That is, that is the analogy here. And I think it's important to point out that that is what people are so, well, one of the things that plus, that's not even calculating the fraud. That's count, that's just taking into account the, um, what happened on the front side of this, the intentional changing of rules under the guise of we got to save everybody from covid suddenly people who do not have authority to make decisions regarding how elections are run can do that and they change the rules without going through the proper authority which is the legislation uh, legislate uh, legislature in their states so anyway timeout is necessary quick timeout because i'm going to get to this uh, get my conversation in with chris and as i said we speak a while but i want to share that off the top because i know a lot of you Maybe you have conversations with folks who do not, um, you know, they they don't follow politics closely. They don't really care, but they might care about something like the Big Ten. They might be riled up about this. What do you mean the Big Ten changed the rules for Ohio State? That's not fair, that sort of stuff. So if they say that, it might be worth pointing out that this is precisely very close to what happened when these states changed the rules in elections. I got to take a timeout, sit tight, come back and share my conversation with Chris Dunham, apologist author, evangelist, all-around good guy, buddy of this program. Sit tight back in, back in just a minute. Well, it is always good to talk with old friends, especially when we get to have them on the program especially during the Christmas season, and maybe even especially when elections may be possibly being stolen around us. So I'd like to welcome our good friend, Chris Dunham, to the program. Chris, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing incredible, Todd. Thanks a lot for having me back. Always a joy to listen to you when I can and uh, hear your calm but assuring and reassuring opinions. Well, I appreciate that. And you've got a lot of you got a lot of stuff that you're involved with too. In fact, I, it's hard to get into all the things that you even um, do or have your hands in. But I, you're an author, you're a speaker. I consider you an evangelist, an apologist. You even filled in here on on this program, and we were kind of chatting <laughs> with that off off air. I guess tell tell folks and I, Chris. We literally, I, I hear when I'm not in, I hear from people, "Hey, who's this guest?" and all this sort of stuff. I heard more requests from people wanting to know who you were, how they could follow you, all that kind of stuff than I ever had before. So you did something right. So I guess what what's it like to fill in as a 
host on a show? And have you ever done anything like that before? Never have done anything like that before and was really grateful for the opportunity. But the, the number one rule I follow whenever I fill in for anybody doing anything is don't take away from what is the core reason for their existence, which means you don't try to supplant your opinion, your identity, your knowledge. You just try to roll with the punches and get in there and try to basically try to complement that which you have already done. And so that's what I tried to do. You bring a calm assurance to the audience. And I know you gave me permission to go down the theological realm, which I did, but uh, I tried to stay within the tracks of what you offer. And that always is a winning formula. Well, we appreciate you you filling in, and of course, we'll um, we'll we'll look at doing that again as uh, as the times and opportunities present themselves. And and you touched, sure. you know, the, theology and, and and the Christian faith. That those are um, it, it may I don't know shock maybe some of the listeners to hear me say this, but I I, I really consider myself. Um, I I think that this uh, I have an interest in evangelism. I, I think that. Being able to speak to people about larger issues, culture, um, morality, religion, politics, however you draw those lines, people want to draw them wherever they want to draw them. But to me, it's it's all about our worldview, our behavior, and so forth. So to me, this is a this is a way to actually share the truth of of the gospel. So I'm glad that that you took the opportunity uh, to to do that. So. Uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. So really quickly, for folks that don't know you, maybe tell us a little bit about you. You've got a great story, Krish. Maybe give us a, a quick background summary of of who you are and, uh, and, and maybe what you do. Well, uh, the origins were in rural India. And then, uh, like everybody else, I set my sights on America when I was very young. I think I was about seven when I wanted this to be my destination. And, uh, of course, the other day I posted something saying that when you're in India and you aspire for America, you never come, you never hope, hope that when you arrive in America, you realize that someone here decided to honeymoon in Russia, yada, yada, yada. Now I understand Vermont, right? But, uh, yeah, so I came here, $9 in my pocket, uh, landed in America four years into my track here. I ran into a man named Zig Ziglar, the motivational giant, who instructed me from the ground up. And one of the things that I tell people about my own story is that most people who move from point A to point B want short-term quick fix. Mr. Ziglar was the first person who said, in a speed, ease, and convenience world, I'm going to teach you to play the long game. So when you arrive at the pinnacle, not if. And I loved that. It was a word of assurance that, hey, I'd made a drastic change in my life. Uh, Nothing is happening at the speed I wanted to. Maybe I'll try this long game. And in fact, last night when we were speaking to a bunch of people who are at a halfway house, I shared with them, I shared that that concept of, uh, I'm what you would call a 10-year overnight success. (laughs) and uh, then of course dallas has been home since uh, the sixth book just came out so along the way i decided i would go into speaking and training and uh, my joke has always been the same that those that can't do those that can't teach and those that can't teach become sales trainers so that was easy for me (laughs) (laughs) so so you were i mean tell us about that what I, my background, uh, Chris, I don't know what I've really shared with you about this, but I, upon graduating from college at Butler, I was, my plan was to go to law school, but 
I did a pre-law program and decided, you know what, this isn't for me. This isn't what God wants me to do. And I spent literally uh, three years, um, I called them my, my David years, out, you know, tending. I wasn't tending sheep. I was tending horses on a horse farm. I was a horse farmer for, for three years oh. Oh, and wow. got into sales thereafter. And I remember one of the early, uh, the very first person I really, you know, kind of connected with and then consumed as much of his material as possible was Zig. So I guess mm-hmm. Zig Ziglar, for those that, that may not know who we're talking about, but tell us what you did there. Tell us about that relationship. Uh, maybe maybe shed some light on, on Zig himself. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's... Uh... It was a journey that uh, truly was, he was my Paul, and uh, he treated me like his Barnabas. So it was, uh, it was a divine thing. Mr. Ziegler was the one who led me to Christ. But he was a salesman, salesman. People always ask me, what was it like to learn selling under the great Zig Ziegler? And uh, what is the best close he ever taught you? I said, Mr. Ziegler taught me a closing attitude. He taught me that I deserved to win. I needed to believe I belonged. You'll win some, you'll lose some, some will get rained out. But the relationship, I realized, was divine about halfway through when everybody was fawning accolades over him. But And I had a front row seat to greatness. I traveled with him all over the world. He let me sit next to him in the plane, in front of the plane. He says, God has designed you for a great purpose, and you don't need to go early and come late. Uh, you're going to travel with me. Uh, I have great, I have great plans for you. And he took me under his wing, and so that relationship uh, was no longer a employee-employer relationship or a superior-subordinate relationship. It was truly one of those, uh, I tell people, you know, if you look at basic physics and basic optics, it's okay. I, I, I love being in his shadow because the light was falling on him, but he was telling me, when I move, the light will fall on you. And it was almost like he was designing me for a purpose that I could not see for myself. And so if I had to sum up his my journey with him in two bookends, which has been what I've been doing since he passed away in 2012, I tell people, I remember taking his shoes to be shined in Iowa when nobody knew who I was. And I remember taking him to the bathroom when he would not trust anybody and he had forgotten who he was because of Alzheimer's. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, he was my spiritual father, a man who uh, gave me great, great insight and wisdom into life and uh I'm so grateful that whatever I do around the world, uh, he's already known there. So even though he is gone, I can still claim that uh, that relationship. And uh, one quick story, my dad has always, when my dad met Mr. Ziegler, my dad said, you know, my son wanted to run away to the West to find fame and fortune. He's our little one. We were upset that he was leaving the family. Uh, but this is our this is our seed. Uh, we wanted him to fall in good soil and to do something good. And when he met Mr. Ziegler, he shook his hand and said, "Today I met the gardener." <laughs> mm. That's incredible. Yeah, it's. I mean, Zig touched, as you pointed out, so many so many people in so many ways. And one of the things that I was always impressed with, of course, I didn't know him like you did, but just just um, listening to his tapes back in the day, his CDs, his reading his books, and just listening to him tell the stories and, you know, the passion, the energy. But perhaps the most, I guess, uh, the, the thing that was imprinted on me the most was his willingness to bring his faith into what he did. So many folks are, I think, uh, scared of this today, you know, scared of losing jobs, scared of, I don't know, uh, getting in trouble, getting written up and all that sort of thing. But, but Zig was 
you know, he wasn't overbearing about it. He was respectful, but he certainly there, there was no way to to listen to his material, read his books and not walk away knowing that he had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I think outside of Billy Graham, uh, this is the person I think would have led more people to Christ. And uh, I'm not exaggerating. We got mailed by the pound. Hmm. When the seminar finished, he would say, the seminar is over. You've graduated. Everything you've paid me to deliver, I've delivered. But in 15 minutes, I'm going to share the real truth of what, what God did in my life. And his exact words verbatim, I've heard it a million times. He says, all are invited, not all are expected. So now I want you to picture this seminar of 200 people all coughing up in north of $1,500 to learn wisdom from him. At the end of three days, he says, yeah, I've given you everything uh, that your 1500 can afford. But in 15 minutes, I'm going to give you the real truth. Who in their right mind wouldn't come? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. He says, I don't want to be shortchanged. And out of the 300, maybe 60% would show up in the side room, which is one, which is the one that I managed and uh, we coordinated. And um, many of them would give their life to Christ there. And then on their way out, we'd give them a CD or a, some kind of information to listen to. And they would give their life and commit their life to Christ on the side of the road if they just listened to the CD. And the next day, we'd get the mail saying, hey, what are the additional resources I can? So the reason I share that is a lot of people don't know that side of them. They look at him as this motivational genius. They look at him as the sales guru. But in 1974, when he met the Lord and he wrote See You at the Top in the same year, Many of his fellow speakers told him, don't go down this path of bringing your faith into it. You will lose business. And he says, between an irate God and an irate crowd, hmm. I'll always pick an irate crowd. Hmm. Well, good for him. And uh, he, he never used a booking agent, and his calendar was usually booked two and a half years in advance. <laughs> Quite a remarkable thing. So you, you've written a book here, and I want to I want to get to this, but I'm going to take a break here to yeah. fit the formatting. And when we get back, sure. I want you to talk specifically about this uh, about this book that you've written. And there might be some other okay. questions that that I'm sure will open up along the way. But we're with Chris Dunham. Chris is a a good friend um, of this program. He's been a guest host of the program, but he's an author, speaker, evangelist, apologist, all around. Uh, just solid, brilliant guy, and uh, we're fortunate to have him on the program. So we'll continue this discussion when we get back. Sit tight. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. A brief little intermission from our conversation with my friend, evangelist, apologist, speaker, author, Chris Dunham, which I hope you're enjoying that conversation thus far, but to keep the program on track and hitting uh, the segment time allotted, I wanted to uh, make sure that we fit the second half of the interview into the latter half of the program. So, But I want to talk about something else, diverting from what we've been speaking about uh, so far here in this uh, interview, but I want to touch on something very, very quickly because again, the formatting today, did you see yesterday trending on Twitter? For those of you that follow social media, maybe you saw this elsewhere. Maybe this popped up as a news story somewhere for you. This whole Jesus land secession rush Limbaugh situation. I'm going to briefly describe what happened and tell you, tell you what it is. And it's just, it's interesting 
Amy Siskind, I think, of the New York. Where is she? She's some liberal media outlet, some some person who believes that she's a journalist. Of course, she's really not involved more in uh, furthering the narrative of the Democrat Party, dutifully uh, being a member of their PR team. But anyway, Rush Limbaugh on, it would have been, I guess, Wednesday, was asked a question by Mr. Snurdly, I believe, during the break or something. Mr. Snurdly asked, where is this country headed? You know, well, what's what's the end game here? Meaning we have these these two diametrically opposed sides. We've got the the radical left, we've got conservatives, we got, you know, basically butting of heads, you've got all this tension, you've got all this stuff that's arisen with election integrity and just we've reached a boiling point. And Rush made the comment that he said, I think we may be headed towards secession. Now, whatever you think about that, I just want to put that aside for a moment. Because Rush yesterday said he's not arguing for secession. He's not he said, Look, I, I see people talking about this. I read these things, and I think that this is where the mood of this is going. And, you know, he basically is, is saying we're we're on the same sort of trajectory where you had, you know, we had the, the civil war. Secession was the precursor to that. You had states that said we're going to have slavery, and another group of states that said we're not allowing that. Um, and the group of states that said they wanted slavery said we believe in this so much or this is – our economy is built upon this. There's other – you know, there, there's issues of federalism and, and, and so forth as well in there. But basically it was driven by this you know, slavery in the south, southern states, and they said we secede from the union. And so then there was the the civil war, but – doesn't mean that secession has to go that route. It simply just means that this is the direction that folks are heading. And you've already seen maps in, in Russia's defense. I mean, you see, uh, I think didn't didn't uh, wasn't there a group in California that was wanting to secede? I think you've got states that are promoting groups of people from states that are saying we want to break off, we want to make California multiple states. You've seen these sorts of things. But the idea being that there's we have such a fundamental difference, fundamental difference between big groups of people that at some point, how are they reconcilable, right? What do we unify around? Used to we could unify around a common American concept, but now we have people who believe in socialism, believe America is inherently unfair, believe in all these crazy anti-American ideas. And so how do you reconcile those? So that's what Rush said. Whatever you think of that, that's what he said. He wasn't calling for it. He was just saying that's where I think we're headed. So this Amy Siskin of wherever she's with, she came out, she tweeted out yesterday a map that she called the United States of Canada. It showed all the blue states basically being part of Canada. And then basically everything that's not along the coast, the West Coast or the Northeast, was part of what she called Jesus Land. And this was trending. Jesus land. It goes to show you that even the radical liberals understand that there is a fundamental difference, that, that, that we are – what the battle is, is often about, which is rooted in that, I would say, is the First Amendment. And by the way, given the choice to live in the liberal utopia or so-called Jesus land where people have the First Amendment, have the Constitution, instead of – being portrayed as the hayseed hicks that they are accused of being. I think that the freedoms and liberty of what she would call Jesus land is a good thing. 
not this socialist utopia that she thinks can achieve, I guess, bliss and, and perfection on earth. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Don't have time to say anything else. Quick timeout, come back and share my conversation with Krish. Be back here in just a minute. Welcome back. I am with Chris Dunham, author, speaker, apologist, evangelist. Been talking about his mentor, the late and the great Zig Ziglar, who many of you know. Uh, if if you don't, uh, I, I encourage you. I mean, just there's so many things you can learn from from Mister Ziglar. Um, it's not just for salespeople. It's an it's an attitude. It's an optimism. It's a, a perspective, a viewpoint. And uh, you you can find Zig stuff all over the place. But I want to speak specifically, Chris, about this book that you've written, uh, Twilight, How One Man Gave Unity and a Verse to My Universe. Maybe talk about the motivation for this book and a little bit about what it's about. Yeah, well, uh, as you know, Todd, from a political side and a culture commentary side, uh, we're going through great upheaval in society right now, disenfranchisement all around. Everybody is feeling marginalized. Uh, identity crisis uh, galore. Everything is intersectionality. Everything is critical. And so I thought, you know, why did I succeed in going through that as a first-generation immigrant with an accent, uh, felt marginalized many times? And then I remembered, you know, Acts 17.26, the verse that uh, this book, Twilight, is based on. And the word twilight, actually, I mean, it's very interesting where I tell people, I'm not black, I'm not white, I'm twilight. (laughs) because I'm brown. And so uh, it was just a catchy title, and Mr. Ziglow liked it as well. So I wrote seven principles from one verse, Acts 17.26, how we all come out of one blood, how he all made us out, made us come out of one place, and how he decided our boundaries beforehand. So the seven principles include seven very personal stories that were very uh, close to my heart, where every time I felt marginalized, every time I felt overlooked, And one of the stories, real quick, is there was a big event in Dallas. Uh, There were going to be two big arenas, 65,000 people over the course of two days, multiple times. Rudy Giuliani, Colin Powell, uh, former First Lady Laura Bush, uh, Mr. Ziegler, uh, Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach. I mean, you name it, the who's who were going to be at these two arenas. I had been doing the circuit, but they suddenly called and said, we can only give Chris 15 minutes at one of the venues on one of the days. Because the celebrities around him, their schedules are really hard to juggle. And my immediate conversation to Mr. Ziegler was, yeah, they're not going to get rid of a former black secretary of state or a former first lady who's white. They're going to get rid of the poor immigrant. Uh, that's, I mean, that's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. And Mr. Ziegler said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but we'll correct it. I said, how? He said, pick up the phone and call the organizers. And I'm not kidding you. This is a true story. It really happened because the evidence is what happened after he told the organizers, you've given me an hour and 15 on each of the locations and you've made me the headliner. But this is my boy. This is his home turf. This is where everybody knows him. This is the moment I've raised him for. So take 15 minutes of my lecture, each of the four events, and give it to my boy. Bottom line, I spoke four times to 65,000 people and my career took off. <laughs> Remarkable. So the whole principle was, you know, Emerson says, if you're going to fool me up, you better be on higher ground. And Mr. Ziegler was that person for me. And so this book is an ode to him. It's trending well. It's available both on Kindle and on the paperback on Amazon. And uh, 
I wouldn't be a salesperson that he trained if I didn't give a shameless plug. Buy it and buy it for others and put it in their stockings. You'll do well. <laughs> Absolutely, and you should. And we'll post this too so folks can find the link uh, to, to the new book. So so you mentioned race, ethnicity uh, in, in this book. This is obviously um, – a, a very hot, I don't know, topic, issue, whatever you want to, mm-hmm. in, in, in America uh, today. What, what, what's your viewpoint on on race and the intersection it has with politics and culture? I mean, what, what's going on here? How do we get get through this and actually get to a point to where uh, we're treating each other, uh, I guess, biblically through the you know the way God expects versus what we've got going on? How, what's what's the problem and how do we how do we get through this? I guess. Well, you know, Oz Guinness, a social commentator, wrote a Free People's Suicide, and he talks about the golden triangle of freedom, and he talks about faith and virtue, and they all intersect, needless to say. America's very founding is one nation under God. Right now we have an America where a bunch of people are trying to understand God. Uh, and yeah. There's a huge difference between that. But having said that, uh, America was always built on the noble ideals of the highest common numerator, which means we always started with the aspiration that we were the envy of the world. Nowhere before had a document been written which uh, basically talked about that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Self-evident truths do not appear in ether or vapor or atmosphere. They appear in the conscience of a human being created in the image of God. So that uh, so nobody is going to sell me. I mean, you know, in the South we have a saying: uh, nobody is buying it, and you should stop selling. <laughs> <laughs> nobody believes for a second the garbage that is coming out of some of these people who get. And of course, when you look at the whole election issue, I tell people we were designed as a nation to have elections, not selections. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't just pick and say this is my candidate, and I'm going to change everything to make that work. But that may be a that may be a story for a different day, and I'm glad this is a radio show. Otherwise, I'd get that blue Facebook logo beneath my statement. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably right. Yes. <laughs> so, and the problem with Facebook is most of them on Facebook are hiding behind their real face, and none of them have read a book. <laughs> but if you go back to the basics, uh, America's highest common ideal is being challenged right now because victimization is always pandering to the lowest common denominator. You don't want to lift people out of the gutter. You want to broaden the gutter. You want to glorify the gutter. And you want to blame someone else for the ditch. There's no out there. And so what we need is we need. And so today, this afternoon, I'll be with people who are disenfranchised, who are marginalized, who live up and down the Cumberland River in Nashville, Tennessee. But I don't go to them with the idea that I'm going to solve their problem. What I did was I asked them yesterday what they need, and I want to make sure that what I give them is specific. So truly, we do need to help those that are marginalized, those that come from broken families. But rather than making decisions from a compound somewhere in Hyannis Sport saying, here's what the people in rural Arkansas need, go to rural Arkansas and ask what those folks need. And that's what America is about. We'll never solve the race problem unless we install the grace problem. Amen. Amen. So so you immigrated here from, from India. What What year was that and how old were you? I came to America in 1986. Oil was trading at $9 a barrel, and I had nothing to nothing to drive. Today, I drive an SUV and oil. So I'm not an economist, <laughs> but, but this I do know that uh, if you can, for those of you listening to Todd's show, and I do as whenever I can, but I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart. If anybody tells you you can't make it in America, don't pack. You ain't gonna make it anywhere else. Hmm. 
I wish more people had that attitude, Chris. And so that's, I guess that's my question. So having grown up in, in India and seeing America from a distance, I guess, what is, what was the perception that you had? What was America in your mind? And then what was it like when you arrived? And then maybe (laughs) how, how, what's it like now? I mean, how, how different is it? I guess Maybe, maybe paint that picture for us. Yeah, now the picture is different because when I grew up in India, we did not have the Clinton News Network. I mean, CNN. <laughs> uh, we didn't. We did. You know, we had. Uh, we had to listen to Voice of America, which was the radio that the armed forces were listening to. We had to listen to British broadcasts. So, way what happened was shortwave radio, and the late great Ravi Zacharias often said, you know, we would listen to Radio Ceylon that came out of uh, Sri Lanka. So everything was hope. Filled. Everything was something we never had. Whatever was piped into us was an aspiration. And we had dreams, and we wanted to get out of where we were. And America was, was always this destination. We the reason to was America was the youngest of, and still is, the youngest of all civilizations, with most of our accomplishments borrowed grace, which means anybody who has accomplished anything in America is two generations removed from somebody in their family who came in on a boat. Amen. So it's the youngest of all places. So we never competed against Europe that had a 1,500 or 2,000-year history. We never competed against China that boasted 5,000. Everybody wanted America because it was an easy place to go in and realize that there was no great tradition here that would challenge you or change you. But if you came, because of its newness and its modular excellence, you would be able to fit in. At least this is what we were raised to believe, that, man, all you need to do is get there. So in my room, I had pictures of the Statue of Liberty, Empire State Building, like any other aspirant trying to get out of that village in India. In fact, when the, the former, the lady who ran for president, the former senator from New York who wrote a book, It Takes a Village, came out, I used to tell people, no, it takes getting out of one. <laughs> it's easy to say it takes a village when you're in a $17 million home, but when you're actually in a village, you want to get out of it. So uh, I remember coming here and uh, realizing that the dream was alive. And the reason it was alive was whatever I heard on the radio was the same thing I heard from the great, uh, as Rush Limbaugh says, Ronaldo's Maximus, the great Ronald Reagan, Mm -hmm. Shining City on the Hill speech. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, you know, when he heard that speech, uh, he realized this was the place where dreams are made. And because he grew up in Austria and, you know, that whole European socialism model. So America was just not a, a... it was not a destination. Freedom was not a coined term. It was an ideal. Uh, and everywhere I went in the world, you know, after I came here, I, I, carrying that American passport uh, gave me access. Now, fast forward to where we are, Todd, going back to our original statement of a biblical generation. Uh, America, you know, Ravi Zacharias wrote a book called Deliver Us From Evil, and he says post-Vietnam America's cultural soul came home in a body bag. Um, And uh, when you look at the 40 years since Vietnam, one biblical generation, we went from a group of people who were very now, you know, decided uh, we're not going to practice objective morality, right, wrong, yes, no, black, white. We're going to subjective morality. My heart likes it. You better approve it. You better applaud it. And you better, uh, you know, parade it. So what we are seeing now is just a stark contrast to what I saw for 35 years ago when I landed here. Granted, I've lived in Texas all the time I'm here, so, um, you know, in the old days, uh, one of the 
evangelist in India says we have inoculated the world with a mild form of Christianity, so it's almost immune against the real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Texas, we have real patriotism. You know, if it's moving, we hug it. If it's not, we sell it. If it argues, we take care of it through the Second Amendment. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> In fact, I think we need to go back to two amendments. First amendment is you have a right to say whatever you want. Second amendment is that your final answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm having fun, as you can say, because I really do believe that with all the hurt in the world, unless there's a little jest. uh, Because, I mean, otherwise I'll go insane. If I look at what is now paraded as common sense, it is just abject stupidity. And it's time for the church. It's what's well, past time. It's time for the church, for Christians, for um, patriotic Americans to stand up and and to put an end to this to this nonsense. I mean, we yep. um, that that to me is really the crossroads we're at. I still feel like we have uh, a majority of people that want to do the right thing and make the right choices. Um, there's some conflicting interests there many times, but. At the end of the day, I think that that's true, but there are certainly folks there that uh, in D.C. in our state houses, um, at all levels of government, really, that are doing some some nefarious things and, and up to to no good. And we've seen some of that in this in this election and so forth. So truth needs to be proclaimed. I applaud what you're doing. Um, folks should get your book. Where can they get your book, Chris? Tell them where they can the find book, your book. The book, uh, the, the electronic version should be uh, available on multiple platforms, but just type in the word Twilight and Krish Dunham Amazon or Twilight Amazon, and they may have it on your show link as well. I think I sent the link earlier. But uh, it's available on Amazon, both in the paperback format, they can order it, or in the Kindle format as well. Or they can go to our ministry website, which is M-A-L-A, malaministries.org, malaministries.org, and uh, they should see it up there as well. But it's a small pocket book. It's designed to be read in one sitting. It's not cumbersome, but uh, I think it'll give hope and it'll give some give some encouragement. Much needed at this time. Amen. Well, I appreciate that. Again, the title of the book, Twilight, How One Man Gave Unity in a Verse to My Universe, written by our friend and guest, Chris Dunham. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you, sir. We'll have you back soon and maybe, who knows, even filling in here again. Um, and. <laughs> I can't do that too much. Folks are uh, folks may clamor and, and want you to be full-time, so i got to be careful there. But it's always good to have you, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Well, I appreciate it, Todd. Thanks for having me. look forward to seeing you soon also. Bye-bye. God bless. time we have today, but I want to take this opportunity to remind you, to remind you to, if you haven't already, check out the website caringatchristmas.com. You can find out how you can help those in need this Christmas holiday on the Near East side of Indianapolis by providing, through our partnership with Shepherd Community Center, Christmas gifts for children. Caringatchristmas.com is that website. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend. SDGC soon. Take care.